Hello and welcome to What Moves Us, the podcast where we ask what moves us or more accurately what's going to move us in future. With the Rail Innovation Group's Johanna Randall and Liam Henderson we look at debates, themes and decisions of the minutes that will impact on the way we get about in the future. Johanna, hello again, how are you? I always wanted to say the same as last time. Well, twice in one week. I just did, but I just, I, I just, I just said it. <laughs> twice in one week. What could be better than another chance to chat? I know a pod doesn't come along for ages, mm. and then two come along at once, just like buses. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> well, on that topic, uh, just a bit of background to the interview that I will play in a second with um, Synapse. So I did a podcast uh, interview a couple of weeks back with. Uh, good maps about their solution to help blind people through stations and on the back of that I ended up speaking to Ben Saunders from Synapse who have another different solution at stations which is sign language announcements at stations so jumped on a call with him and did a very interesting interview but on the back of that I was going to ask have you ever seen sign language at stations yet? I've seen it online, but I haven't seen it in person yet, but it looks really exciting. It is. Um, I was quite interested in the technology for it, but given my propensity to gesticulate on these podcasts, I kept having to stop myself, lest I say. So, so does Ben tell you all about the technology behind it then? Uh, yes, but I was particularly interested in how you, uh, how you assign station names. If you think about all the strange names of stations around the country, how you come up with signs for those. Oh, so how do they come up with them? Do they make them up? Um, You'll hear in a second, but it is either you go to the local area to hear what the local local people sign themselves, or you have to spell it out. If there is a local sign for the local area, then you use that, um, or you have to sign it. But considering some of the world station names are quite long. I'm thinking, by the time they were halfway through the signing of the the, the alphabet, the letters for it, you would, you'd have missed what it said at the start. That is really interesting, isn't it? Because I've never really thought about it before. Now, I'm now thinking, what is pitlockery in sign language? Well, that's your challenge for the next time we talk. But it did get me on the topic of, now that we, are, we seem to be in a theme of these, which other podcasts you'd like me to which other solutions we should check out what me personally or our audience well no if we do if there is particular there are a lot of small companies developing solutions for niche groups of customers um one is which other solutions are coming out and two is how do we make all of these things work together so you don't have to go to the station already knowing who your solution provider is yeah that's an interesting one isn't it bringing it all together because Thinking back to our last podcast and who has um, been successful in achieving funding, that is that one of the projects that um, I put in with a consortium of people, actually, we put it in twice and we were unsuccessful twice, was partly was about bringing a whole series of accessibility products all together to create the station of the future. Um, So it was all about, you know, thinking about... um, sort of like yeah the different the different needs of different I mean I can different customers and I think what's quite interesting about that is because yeah you said niche 
but um, when we were um, putting this together as a as a piece of work and bringing different technologies together, we actually talked a lot about it working for the family because we think about accessibility needs being um, niche, but actually when you think about the, the different generations and the different needs of families, actually some of these can actually be still accessibility issues because, you know, and I think particularly, you know, because I'm a grandmother now and my grandson is that a lot of the way he communicates, he's, you know, just, just about 18 months is sign language. And part of that is because he, doesn't quite yet have the full you know capacity to to speak yet he's still at the the mama dada stage and apple you can say apple mm. um but yeah so a lot of, but also it's a lot of it is because um um the um one of the cartoon not cartoon or children's programs he watches um it's not just you know they don't just um talk they also sign at the same time so so he naturally does a lot of sign language because of watching this tv program and so i think you know and when you think about you know sort of like we think about you know people with accessibility you know with mobility issues and that actually it's quite it's quite conceivable that somebody in your family would be in a wheelchair you know whether it be through a disability or whether it be because of age or whatever so should we should always be thinking about designing for a family and it's maybe not so niche as we think because i think i think the statistics show that you know something like you know a quarter of the population have some sort of accessibility need so their individual need might be niche but the overall you know gradient of accessibility requirements is actually quite big yes what you said i agree with it yes i was thinking niche as in niche products direct directed to target yeah. niche needs but in general, lots of people are using them. Therefore, let's make a holistic experience or a holistic I agree. interface um, using data, obviously. Data, 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 data. Using data. the data, not just leaving data. it in a cloud somewhere. Yes. More on that to follow, I'm sure. Anyway, <laughs> on to the interview. Take two. Ben, thanks for joining us today. Uh, before we start into our deep discussion, tell us about Synapse. Actually, tell us about yourself and Synapse. Hi, thanks, Liam. Um, so myself, uh, Ben Saunders, I'm the CTO here at Synapse. My background is in accessible technology. Um, sign languages have always been a small part of my life. My mum was a special needs teacher, and she taught a lot of nonverbal children using sign language. And so when I grew up, it was always like a small part of my life that I was quite interested in. Separately, I got really interested in artificial intelligence about five years ago. Then I was really lucky to find a PhD that combined both of these passions um, at the University of Surrey, fully focused on sign language technology. Um, so a really good team there. And one of the main things that I researched was the generation of photorealistic sign language videos. So videos that look exactly like a human using AI techniques. Um, and so kind of the spark for me of Synapse came was when we showed some of these videos to the deaf community and they got really excited by them. To kind of give a bit of context, what the deaf community were used to before the us was any way of generating sign language was done using digital avatars, usually driven by motion capture. These are, these are good, they're fine, but they're quite simplistic, they're quite cartoony, they're obviously not human. And importantly, the deaf community have just sort of rejected them in the past and haven't really liked them. And so, with some of the research that I did at the University of Surrey, 
we were kind of able to improve the quality of those videos quite significantly. And when we showed them to the deaf community, they were like, oh, that's amazing. That looks like a human. And so they got really excited about it. And so then for me, Synapse was kind of turning some of that research um, into products that could be helpful in the real commercial domain. And so Synapse was set up about a year ago to kind of create the products that would do automatic translation from English into sign language. So this is generating sign language videos from an English sentence input. Start with Synapse is focusing on the transport domain, the kind of railway sector. The reason for this is the railway sector is quite um, constrained messaging. A lot of the messages that are used in the railway sector are quite repetitive. They're quite simple. For the example of something like the train on platform four is going to Waterloo, is going to Euston. And so that was an area that was quite doable, the technology at the time, kind of right now. And also importantly, it's solving a real kind of customer problem, um, which is that deaf people often struggle to kind of be understood at, at transport hubs. A lot of the announcements that happen are done by the audio that they can't hear at all, or either kind of English text up on the screen. Whereas for a lot of deaf people, when there's a lot of English text, um, they kind of struggle understanding it, mainly because their first language is sign language. And so Synapse was set up initially to kind of target that problem. Um, we offer a product right now, which does automatic sign language announcements. So they can announce the departure of all the trains um, from a particular station in sign language as well, kind of providing accessibility for those deaf people at those transport hubs. Um, still quite early in Synapse, but we kind of, this is our first domain and something we feel really proud of in the last few years. Right. Thank you for that. So before we did the interview, we had uh, about five questions that I was like teeing up to ask you, and now you've answered all of them in the first five minutes. <laughs> Good for that. Well done for being concise and uh, for all our listeners, which means that we can delve off from there. So uh, I think let's... Uh, sorry. Uh, what it would be good to understand is in the railway context, um, I think this is a question of mine, is you're talking about the sign language is helpful for people on the station. But if I think of it as someone who doesn't struggle with communication, I often sort of almost run through a station and glance at a piece of information whilst on the way to a train. How can you replicate that through sign language? Sorry, it's not even glance. I'm aware of sort of an announcement platform five. That's all I listen out for. How do you replicate that sort of quick instant information if someone has to go then stand and watch the signing? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think to kind of set the scene with what the context is here is currently deaf people when they go to a transport hub, they don't get those audio announcements at all. And so one thing that we find is having the sign language at least somewhere, it's probably not ideal but it's better than not having it at all. So that's kind of like the first concept. The second one is when we when we put those sign language videos actually at a station, we tried to get a lot of feedback from the deaf community kind of being like, where should those screens be? What would be the best screens for you to use? Um, what we often use is kind of digital screens that show that and they can be moved about. If we then communicate with the local deaf community, we can tell them, at this station, the, the screen that we're going to use is at this place, and they're quite used to going to that spot. That doesn't fully solve the problem that you're talking about, where you, when you're running for a train, when you're kind of late, you don't get that information directly. And something that we're looking into at the moment is having that content shown on a mobile as well. Everyone's so kind of used to using their mobile for all the announcements, for all the information that they get. 
And so if you could also have sign language announcements coming through on your phone, it may be a push notification, um, maybe a particular app that you use to understand the sign language. That's where we see this to be really, really helpful. For a lot of deaf people, they're kind of almost more used to you looking at their phone all the time because the wider world around them is quite hearing focused. And so they're quite used to that and it could be quite a helpful place for them to do it. And so maybe when they're running through the station, instead of having to glance up at that screen, they can just look down at their phone and realize, oh, actually, this train has been changed platform. It's potentially been canceled, delayed, and they can get their information that way instead. Right. Um, someone in a room nearby is now doing power drilling, which is very helpful. <laughs> Sorry if you hear that. Uh, so in a railway contact, you obviously you mentioned that this is one of your first contacts. And for anyone who isn't aware of the product, it's I have seen it at Waterloo. It's almost just like a screen with a face and someone doing signing, but it was at the end of a platform. So I wondered, what, how did you come to, well, basically, how did you achieve a screen at Waterloo? Um, it seems like a very busy and complicated place to do your first thing, that your first, uh, is it a proof of concept, your first model? How did you get to do that? Yeah, so kind of Waterloo was one of our first ones. Um, before this, our CEO, um, a woman called Sally Chalk, previously worked at uh, a company she ran called Clarion. Um, did some really initial sign language announcements at Euston about two years ago. These were a lot more basic than we have, and they were more just ad hoc messages. And so we were always able to test out the technology in a really busy place like London Euston. Um, and actually, we found that it being busier was almost better because you've got more people coming through, you can get more feedback. And so one of the reasons for picking Waterloo was that fact that there's a lot of people there. We can get a lot of that feedback. There's a big deaf community in London. And so that was really important for us to kind of be a place where a lot of people see it. We could have put it in a kind of random station that maybe be a bit easier to track the, the metrics there, but less people would be seeing it and therefore be getting less feedback and less input. So that was one of the main reasons that we picked Waterloo um, to, 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 sh to show those messages out. And also right. it's quite nice as well. I live in London, quite a lot of our, our colleagues live in London. And so Waterloo is actually one of my main stations that I use. So it was quite nice for me personally to be like, oh, it's there and I can see it and I can tell people about it. Right. Um, and do you use it? I do. Yeah. Every time I go through, I do look at it. I do stand at it. And often, what I think I, one thing I found quite nice is if I ask the staff around there who are used yeah. to seeing it, kind of being like, "Have you seen deaf people interact with it?" And actually, I was talking to one a few weeks back, and she said that she had, um, and she's kind of been communicating with them a little bit to kind of ask their feedback on it. Difficult communication, but that she said that they seemed really happy with what, what, what we were able to offer, which is nice. Right. So that was that was going to be my next question is. Based upon, I'm sure that there was discussion about the perfect place to put it and everything else around the station. And since it's been there, have there been any patterns about user behavior? Uh, I mean, for example, do people crowd around it? Do people look at it from a distance or up close? Um, are there any sort of issues with people standing in front of it and someone trying to watch it? Um, tell us about that. Yeah, so not just at London Waterloo as well, but some of the other stations that we've rolling out. We have done the quite informal user group settings where we bring in a local, some, some people from the local deaf community. We get them to have a look at it. They kind of understand whether this is going to help their journey. And like you say, get that feedback on practicalities. How big do you want it to be? I, I think. And one thing that they kind of pushed is it's really helpful to be always in the same spot. So that's what we were talking about earlier, having, always having those screens, same place so that deaf person always knows to go there for their information. Another feedback that we got was actually maybe for the client, 
it could be helpful if the sign language is incorporated into screens that already show information. So your standard customer information screens that just show a summary of departures, let's say, if you could have the BSL integrated into there as well, that would then serve both markets, both for the deaf people, but also for the hearing person. And then it also seeks to solve um, for that deaf person who's maybe a bit more confident in English, they can get some of their information from the sign language, but also some of it from the, the written language as well. And so that was one of the big learnings that we found. Um, the final one, really importantly, was that size element of it. <laughs> yeah. It's quite easy. You, you could easily put this on a screen quite far away and it'd be really hard to, to read because sign language is quite intricate. You do need it quite sizable. And so that was another feedback that we got from the deaf community. Um, we host monthly deaf user groups um, up at a place in Birmingham. And quite a lot of this feedback's come from there as well. We sort of show the products there, maybe more of a testing environment. First, just to make sure that actually they're understandable and they're useful for that deaf person but then also kind of getting this small feedback that we've talked about here. Right. So when you first approached, did you, sorry, let's just clarify. Did you approach the rail industry or did someone in the rail industry seek you out? It was a combination of both. Um, can't really go into the specifics of okay. it, but yeah, it was, off, it, it linked quite nicely with, with Sally's old company, Clarion, who have done similar yeah. things in the, in the domain before. And how would you, if you were offering this to someone else, how would you convey the business case to them about it? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think one of the business cases that we show is sort of twofold. Firstly, um, it's kind of the safety element for a lot of deaf people when they go to a station, if there's a public announcement, let's say that the train's been canceled, the train's been delayed, or even something more serious, like you can't go to a particular station, if that's done on an audio setting, that deaf person doesn't receive that information and therefore won't be able to follow that safety measure. And so actually for the train companies, they care about that safety announcement, getting out to the right people. Let's say there was a fire at a station and everyone needed to leave. Um, that deaf person, if they don't get that information, there's a safety risk there. And so that's one of the first kind of elements that we talk to train companies to be, this is a real need that can be helpful. Secondly, it's kind of about that customer experience. We strongly believe that a lot of train companies care about their customers, care about who's, who's going through their stations, who's getting on their trains, and they want to make that experience as good as possible with them. There's a big push in kind of UK in general about accessibility at the moment. We think that a lot of train companies from what we've talked to follow that metric. They, they, they care about being accessible to their deaf customers. They know that if they have these announcements, more deaf people will be confident traveling on their trains, and, and, and that's important for them. They have an accessibility team within them maybe an edi team it's quite a positive thing for them to talk about um a lot of train companies we've talked to like they care about being the most accessible let's say and so that's one of the big things that we push as well but it can be, can be really really important in that way right so can you imagine a envisage a situation where you have uh these screens in obviously along the journey the platforms the station the trains Sort of, so it's not just a snapshot of information, it is a continual support through the journey. Yeah, that, that's really where we'd like to take it. We, we, we know at the moment the messaging that we're providing, which is mainly departure information, is a really, really great start. But as you say, it, it doesn't touch on all the information that's helpful for that deaf person. They probably like the information when they're on the train as well. On trains, there's also a lot of audio announcements saying we're not stopping at the next station, we're not. And so working in that area is something that's really interesting for us. 
thing it's slightly harder because often inside a train there's not those big screens that can show sign language messaging and that probably comes back to the the mobile application that we were talking about if these if these announcements could be seen on the the deaf person's mobile they can get them when they're on the train when they've got in on it when they've got off at the next stop that side of it so yeah we, we, we'd love to work on more of that communication throughout their whole journey um, and it's something that we're talking to a lot of clients with um, instead of just in the railway we, we, we offer some some products in the airport space as well and actually we found recently moving across to america has been really accessible and one thing that we find quite nice for those american clients is they care more than just the departure information we've started translating some of their websites into sign language. Um, and so it really touches on the full user journey, not just when they're in the station, but before they get to the station, when they're trying to find what ticket to go for. If their website has got BSL translations on it as well, that could be really helpful for them to understand it. Maybe all the communications that happens after the, 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 the visit, like emails and things like that. If that's also in sign language, that will help the, that communication much more. And so it's something that we want to work into in the future. Right. If we could um, just go on to the tech a little bit, I'm quite interested to hear, obviously don't, you don't have to give out your trade secrets, but how, how you actually build a system to automate um, signing. And I have a particular question is, do you have to sort of compromise any of the messaging or communication to be able to automate it into a signing? It's a really good question. Um... The way that we do the dynamic messaging for the transport domain is quite nice because those those messages that we produce are quite boilerplate, they're quite repetitive. So let's take the message, the train um, at Waterloo is going to Leeds. You've kind of, if you want to change that message to say the train's going to Birmingham, the train's going to Manchester, all you really need to change is that location part of the message and the rest of the video is actually the same. And so the way that we dynamically generate a new message is we cut it up into particular sections. So there could be a section, which is the train on platform something. Then you've got a section to say four, which is the platform. Then you've got a section which says is going to, and then you've got the location section, Leeds, Liverpool. And so our technology allows us to blend between those sections of video. And importantly, using our photorealistic video generation, which means that those blended bits between different videos have exactly the same appearance as the videos. They're based off the real people, which means that you don't visually see the discontinuity between the sections. Then we can easily sub in Leeds, Liverpool, Waterloo for that location element, keep the rest of the video the same um, and kind of regenerate something that that person hasn't particularly signed before. Going on to your point on terms of, do we have to compromise on the messaging? No, not at all. Because the transport messagings are quite simple, um, the message doesn't change if you change the location. The rest of it is exactly the same. And even if you change the timing, even if you change the platform, the rest of the message is still understandable. And we make sure we do a lot of kind of research with the deaf community to make sure. We've also got a, a kind of in-house head of data translation um, who checks all the videos before we provide them to clients just to make sure that they are understandable. So that's kind of a, a small way of how the video generation works. Um, but the main technology that we rely on is the, the ability to generate new videos that have the same appearance as something else. Um, it's kind of the technology that I worked on in my PhD and we're quite, quite proud of um, being quite advanced in signups. Right. And so, do, sorry, if you're going to roll this out in a new location, 
you obviously need a screen and power. Do you then need to be connected into that location's audio systems? Not into the audio systems per se, more in the data feeds behind the scenes. All of the audio announcements, written announcements that happen on a, a, a train station are all being powered by back-end data feeds like Darwin, let's say. What that contains is the information about all the departing trains from that particular location. We integrate with that technology in order to show the messaging in one place and then moving it to another place. All we need to say is now we're in Leeds and then we can generate the messages from that location as well. Um, the thing that we need to change when we move to different clients is we need to service trains that go to different destinations. So all the destinations from one station are going to be slightly different to another destination because there's different lines, there's different elements of it. And so when we move from client to client, we need to make sure that our dictionary vocabulary behind the scenes contains all the locations that we can go to from that station. And so there's a small amount of work to go from station to station, but for the client, the only thing different, the only thing new is they need a, a screen. We do the rest of it behind the scenes. And so it's less headache for them to work out how to integrate with the, the backend data feeds. Right. And have you found any stations on the network are more difficult to sign the name of? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, we actually, we, we have a, a, a kind of an in-house translator who does all the signing for us, a man called Marcel. Um, he's a really well-known deaf translator. Um, but one of the things he's been having quite fun with, let's say, is when we give him a, a list of locations to sign, he often goes to those locations or knows people in those locations to try and find the local sign for it. It's kind of two okay. ways of signing a location. Either if they're a big enough location, they've got a, their own sign, let's say. So like for London, the sign is you, you spin a finger around your ear. It's quite a noisy place. You could instead actually just finger spell out London. So just spell it out letter by letter. And right. so what we try to do is find out for that location, whether the, 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 the sign is well known enough to just use that, or do we need to finger spell it? And so kind of Marcel has a lot of fun when he creates those videos to go and just check, is there a real sign for Derby or do we have to go and sign it out, uh, finger spell it out completely? So that's yeah, an important part of the way we do that. But that's an interesting point that there isn't a, <laughs> we have a national list of train station names, but we don't have a national uh, suite of signs for all the station names. And I'm sure that that rolls into many, many other things that there is no standardization for yet. A little bit, yeah. There, there is a formalization of the dictionary sign language, let's say. Um, but when it's a place name, when it's someone's a person's name, it's more just some people will use this sign, and then if there's enough people using it, it'll kind of be formalized within the dictionary. So it's almost finding that point of when is this sign used enough to just be able to use that, and when do you have to finger spell it? Right. Okay. Um. Thank you. That's a very, very good introduction. Um, I guess the last question I have for you is what's next? Yeah, so for us, the next thing is we'd really love to see this technology rolled out in many in more places, um, more train stations, um, yeah, that, that element, more clients, but then also into new locations. So not just railways, like I talked about, we've recently launched in airports, looking to do buses as well. And so for us, it's expanding where these messages are seen. We think that for deaf people, being accessible throughout the whole transport sector, not just railway, is really important. And so we'd love to see the messages there. Another side of it is we'd also like to improve the quality and almost the range of our messages. Having the departure information is really, really helpful and it's a great start. 
we'd love to move towards emergency departures um, a bit more detailed and like we talked about that kind of communication with the deaf passenger throughout their journey rather than just at the station that's kind of the next step for sign ups and transport domain right lots of options and lots of future well best of luck and i hope it goes well and tell us more of your research when you get it on user, user stories we'd love to yeah thanks ben amazing thank you very much Liam. Really being on the podcast bye thanks for listening to another episode of what moves us we hope we moved you. For more episodes, you'll definitely want to subscribe to our channel. Until next time.